presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Jim Weisberg and Matt Costin. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here with you. I think I've got all the buttons on. At least mine's on. That's all that matters. This is the this is the money voice right here. This is what everybody's tuning in for. Yeah, right. <laughs> we are here to talk about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night, and we have a full house this evening. Literally, like we have Dave Coulier and John Stamos over there. Oh. <laughs> like they they had nothing else going on. Come on. And uh, also, everybody should go out and buy Greek yogurt. We have uh, the silent assassin, Matt Costa, who's here as always. He would say hello to you, but he doesn't have a microphone tonight. Just, oh, hey, hey. I was going to make him yell, which might have been a first time. And now uh, we have science advisor, Matt Moniz, is here as well. We also have our special guest co-host for this evening, Stephanie Burke. Hello. Should we refer to you as spirit medium, Stephanie Burke, when you're here in co-host capacity? Whatever you want to do. Okay. Well, because you are. I am. But tonight you're here as another voice because we're a bunch of dudes and we will not ask <laughs> questions from the feminine perspective and we will make ourselves sound chauvinistic and you're here to kind of keep us in check for and that. I am because, happy to be here. Because you know that we will do that too. Hey, it's fun, right? You talk to us all the time off the air when we can't be, when we're not censored by the FCC. This is very true. And station management. And joining us tonight we also have Rachel Hoffman and Tina Storr of Paranormal Expeditions. Hello. And uh, there, it's we we haven't talked to them. I think it was like 2010 was the last time you guys were on. You guys were our very first radio show ever. And now you're all over the place, and you've got a new project that we'll talk about a little bit later on. We're going to get into all of that, and of course, we'll take your questions throughout the course of the evening. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. You can tweet them to us at SpookySC. You can email them to us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. And Matt, you have the chat room going over there. Uh, if you've n- if you're new to the program and you've never tuned in before, uh, which you know where have you been for these last eight years? But uh, we broadcast both on WBSM and also on our website through what we call Spooky TV, which is in studio video cameras. You can actually see what's going on during the course of the show. We break down that fourth wall. We show you everything, which is really just a bunch of people sitting around microphones. But for some reason, people like to watch it. And we have a chat room option as well. So you can actually get involved with the discussion. Matt is the only one that can see the chat room, but he will definitely shout out any questions that come in to the chat room. I know it's like, remember that job, Stephanie? Yes, I do. (laughs) Having to monitor chat and find a way to break in when there is a question. Uh, But he will do that this evening. And also, keep in mind, too, there are tons of other programs on Spooky TV as well. It's not just our show. There's Spirit Connections. There's Paranormal After Party, uh, 30-odd minutes, Ghosts Are Near, uh, Slaps 360. I think, is that everybody so far? Uh, Am I missing anyone? I think I got everybody. You know, he doesn't need a microphone. I can hear him. That'd be nice. <laughs> and uh, and uh, also, I spoke with a friend of ours who just started producing a show. Oh, yes. And uh, so she's going to reach out to you and see if we can get that on Spooky TV as well. So tons of programming to be found there. It's all free of charge. It's all a way to keep you entertained during the course of the week and keep Matt Costa busy. Because uh, without Spooky TV, what would you do? Right. <laughs> just work, work six other jobs. 
So uh, we will definitely get into the discussion with uh, Rachel and Tina because we want to talk about uh, the new project that they have in the works and kind of a new approach to paranormal investigation as well. So we'll get into all that. But before we do that, I think that we definitely have to uh, get a little weird. More bad news. Well, I got a great show for you today with some wonderful weird stuff. I feel, I feel so very weird. <laughs> the Week in Weird. And speaking of weird, it's going to be a little weird for me because I had to move my monitor over, so I'll like, turn and get commentary from you guys. But feel free to uh, jump in with any thoughts on these stories, everybody, as we go through them. The first one comes from the Independent in the U.K. A U.S. pilot has spoken of a shock at having to abort takeoff because his plane crashed into a fish. Lieutenant Commander Nick Toth's Gulfstream 4 jet was halfway down the runway when he and his crew spotted a large osprey flying in front of them. The bird vanished underneath the plane and the crew, who worked for the National Oceanic, Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, they heard a bang. Yet when they aborted the takeoff and taxi back around to check the runway, all they could find was a nine-inch-long sheep's head fish. Uh, Commander Toth told the airbase's publication, We were nearing the point in the takeoff where we needed to rotate or raise the nose of the plane off the ground when an osprey with something on its claws from in front of our aircraft. We saw that the osprey did not gain enough altitude and that it passed underneath the center line of the aircraft. Uh, so they, they missed what they would have called a bird strike, but instead, I, I guess they have to call it a fish strike. They actually took a DNA sample from a bloody mark on the plane, and it later confirmed it was indeed the result of an impact with a fish. So, it's like, it's almost like as if um, New Zealand was a terrorist. <laughs> did, did everybody get that? I'm impressed. New Zealand, picking up popularity. All right, let's go to our next story. This one comes from io9.com. Matt Costa, this is something that I'm, uh, I'm thinking that you probably have researched intently. Cats and birds. Cats and birds. Back in the 1530s, a military planner in what is now Germany devised a rather strange means of siege warfare that would have seen cats and birds strapped with bombs to, quote, set fire to a castle or city, which you couldn't get at otherwise. They have these strange pictures in a manual that was discovered by Bibliodicy in 2012. The book, written by artillery master Hans Fraun of Cologne, Franz Helm of Cologne, has since been analyzed by the University of Pennsylvania humanities expert Mitch Frost, who, after first encountering the strange depiction, said, I really didn't know what to make of it. It clearly looks like there's some sort of jet of fire coming out of a device strapped to these animals. This manual was widely circulated at the time, right around the time when gunpowder was starting to change warfare. It's filled with all sorts of bizarre ideas, including bombs packed with shrapnel, missile-like explosives studded with spikes, and, of course, weaponized cats and birds. The idea is that you capture a bird, a cat from enemy territory, attach a bomb to its back, light the fuse, and then hope it runs back home where it will start a raging fire. So, Steph, I know that you like cats quite a bit. I do, but I don't know if I like cats as much as Matt Costa. I, I don't want to get into that. I, you know, I wasn't going to blow up a spot here on the radio, but I since did. you have. I did. We are all cat people. We we are quite familiar with cats. They don't do anything that you want them to do. Right. They're, Mine do. Right. Mine only dogs. I'm pretty sure that if I strapped a bomb to the back of my cat's back, he would like just come back over to me and start rubbing up against my leg until we yes, both explode. So I can see why this plan didn't work. Now birds, on the other hand, that's that's gold. We should we should try that. Well, 
the U.S. Army. The U.S. Army decided to use bats in World War II over Japan. And we ended up with Batman as a result. No, they put little incendiaries uh, on the bats. And did it work? Uh, there were a couple of tests that loosely worked. Kamikaze bats. Basically, yeah. The bats would fly to these houses in Japan, which were made of paper, and roost up underneath the eaves. And after the chemical degraded to a certain point, it would catch fire and catch the house on fire. That's incredible. <laughs> All right. Our final story, Moniz, I know you'll like this one. Uh, being both uh, an academic and a fan of zombies, Kyle Bishop figured it was risky when he applied to a University of Arizona Ph.D. program in English eight years ago by proposing a dissertation on zombie movies, but he was dead wrong. Uh, not only ha- did they approve of the dissertation on zombies, but they've now added 20 scholarly books with zombie in the title or in the topic category, uh, and they now have zombie courses as well. So uh, it, it goes. It ranges from everything from studying zombie culture to uh, actually being able to survive the zombie apocalypse. So I'm sure you're going to, you know, be applying to some of these schools to, to teach that course. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it, we see a lot of that. You know, me being an English major when I was in college, we see a lot of these themes reflecting in society, and we try to use that uh, in order to get people interested in the topic. I don't. I don't know how much further you can go with the zombie. Genre. I think it's done. I think. Are you saying it's a dead end? I, I think that it's dead. It's. I, I think Warm Bodies was the last different take you could take on the zombies, and and we had Isaac Marion on the show twice. So there you go. All right, that does it for the week and weird for this week. If you have any stories you would like to submit for the week and weird, just tweet them to us at SpookySC. And if we use it on the show, we will mention, we will retweet you, we will do uh, whatever else we can do to gain you notoriety and fame, which has eluded us all these eight years, but we will bestow it upon you. All right, why don't we take a break? When we come back on the other side, we're going to get right into the discussion with Rachel and Tina from Paranormal Expeditions. And uh, if I call you guys girls, I've been doing it all for the last couple of weeks. Just correct me and, and say ladies, because I've been doing it. I just think of you as the girls, so it's you know it happens. There you go, it works. All right, we will take a break, and we come back on the other side. More with them, and more with you as well here on Spooky South Coast. Do not attempt to adjust your radio. There is nothing wrong. We have taken control as to bring you this special show. Spooky South Coast is back. Everybody be cool. You be cool. Welcome back. Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. We've got Matt Costa in the house, Matt Moniz, Stephanie Burke, and our guests tonight are Rachel Hoffman and Tina Storr of Paranormal Expeditions. We're playing this song because we are huge in Compton. I don't know if you guys know that. And South Central. Rhode Island. Yeah, Little Little Compton. It's easy to be huge in Little Compton. All right. So like I was saying uh, earlier in the show, it's been a while since we've had you guys in the program. Of course, we've seen you around in different events, and you've come to some Legend Trips events, and we've seen you on television and on the Internet and all kinds of things going on. Uh, how much has changed between the first time you were on the show and now? 
a lot. Yeah, we were just talking about it on the way here, actually. Um, it was just a trip down memory lane. Definitely. Um, we were saying, you know, we came in kind of naive and not knowing where we wanted to start out. And oh, are we not close enough? I'm just going to push it up a little bit close to you there. Um, and now we kind of have started to find our footing and where we want to really take this, um, you know, this expedition. Yeah, definitely. We um we kind of found ourselves as a team and found the direction we want to go in, and, yeah, we've grown up a lot. <laughs> I mean, when you first do get involved, uh, it is hard because each group that comes into this wants to find a way to make their mark. Nobody wants to go into it and and just... It can get very mundane. We'll put it that way. Doing what we do as paranormal investigators can get to the point where you're bored as an investigator if you're going out there and doing the same monotonous type of approach to investigation all the time. At the same time, in addition to being investigators, you're trying to be entertainers. So you have to make sure that that monotony doesn't translate to your audience as well. And if you're not feeling it, you can't expect them to feel it either. So you've got to keep it fresh for both sides of it. Uh, has there been uh, a, a lot of struggle with that and finding a way to investigate in a way that can be entertaining but is still true to what you're trying to do? I don't think it's been a struggle. Um, I just think it's kind of been a fun ride for us. We are constantly thinking of new ways and um, something new to bring to the table, you know, as women and as, like, uh, I don't know, new investigators, I guess. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was letting Tina take the floor with that one. No, I agree 100%. I think that you always try to kind of take a new approach and keep the audience captivated. We have the honor of telling these people stories that have passed on. Um, Tina and I have begun taking kind of a more horrific approach with um, taking on, you know, these murder cases and things like that. And it's a lot more sensitive. Um, we're starting with things that began in the 1920s, and we're kind of working our way up to more modern times. Um, and so we're involving the family members, involving the community, and I think that it just adds more to the investigation when you have the history and the actual, you know, people that are related to the individuals that passed away on these locations. Now, one of the things that we discussed when you were here the first time, and, and we've been talking about pretty much ever since, is the struggle for women to be kind of accepted in the paranormal. Now, Stephanie, you being a spirit medium, uh, you know, a lot of times that's a unique gift that people will want to have be part of an investigation. Right. But you were an investigator before you were even really public about those abilities. Yes. It was my way of being in the closet about my abilities. <laughs> so you went through this, and I know that you ladies have seen others who have gone through it, where you're kind of just seen as, you know, we said in the past, as the ghost bait. You know, you're there to kind of be the one to, to be the, the sensitive person to the investigation. You're not always necessarily seen as, as strong an investigator as the males. It's just the nature of how some of these teams have operated over the years. Coming into this with an all-female team, uh, was that something that you were trying to overcome, or were you just not even worrying about how other teams uh, have sidelined women over the years? Yeah, I don't think we were. We were initially very unaware of the presence of other people. Mm -hmm. um, but before the Paranormal Challenge kind of brought the whole community to the surface, we were kind of just in our own world. Um, so 
in that, we were doing our own thing and not really thinking of how it was going to affect a community of people. We were just kind of making our way out there, trying to put a little rock star spin on our, you know, producing and things like that. So more it came from a lot of originality and just trying to be ourselves. I don't think we were ever worried about, you know, being all female. I think we were more excited than Mm. anything because we're so, I don't know, we're really strong in our beliefs. We stick to our guns and we're just... I don't know, genuine, so I guess, as long as you... And we also had that dynamic, um, my sister being the skeptic, me being the strong believer, Tina being the brave heart who was afraid but kind of went for it anyway. So we kind of had that dynamic. It was very natural, so... And Danielle's kind of like that, you know. <laughs> you know you know Danielle, so she sure. kind of brings that attitude to the table where kind of there's no excuses needed. I think that they gave her one line on the paranormal challenge, and <laughs> that one line was that when they asked her if she had any fears, she was like, I'm not nervous. We kick ass. Like, so that's kind of her take on things. So it, like everybody, I think the three of us worked off each other's bravery, um, both for the criticism that we got publicly um, as an all-female crew, um, and it, that's the initial. And still currently, we still, you know, our bond keeps us strong, and, you know, we kind of press forward with, the, with whatever we believe is, is the right thing to do. Well, I mean, of course, you and Danielle being related, being sisters, and then Tina being a friend, you know, you already have a good chemistry going into this. But a lot of the times with these male-dominated groups, it kind of turns into a dowsing rod measuring contest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you find that, was there a lot of that going on with you guys when you first started kind of jockeying for who was going to do what within the group, or did it kind of just all fall into place? It was just like second nature to us. Yeah, it kind of yeah, came very weird. natural. Um, I think initially I being the like more I'm, I'm a leader yeah, by nature <laughs> yeah and tina's a really good like she's a good team player so mm-hmm. it worked out to be you know danielle's kind of bouncing off the wall no matter where we are <laughs> and going crazy but she's like like you were saying the entertainment factor and yeah. tina and i have managed to bond beyond what sisters could even imagine at this point after yeah. all we've been through so now of course uh when we had you on, you were just kind of getting out there and getting your name out there. Paranormal Challenge comes. How did that come about? How did you get involved with that program? They actually contacted us. Mm-hmm. Um, they found our website, and they um, wanted to have us on the show. So we-, we actually said no at first. We we didn't know how deep mm-hmm. the production was. Actually, they had contacted us months before this was even yeah. made public as the challenge. Um, the, I guess that they were trying to choose a few teams that were – you know, that were a little bit more, that, that had a few more investigations out there. So we had, mm-hmm. what, like four or five maybe at that point in time. Um, and the day a, that... Yeah, it was like a year after we had formed. Yeah, so we had a few. We had Mercy Brown, a few. Maybe we had even seen you guys a few times. I think we had, actually. Yeah, we had met you guys and, and been on the show and been to a few events. So, um, yeah, we had a little bit put out there. And initially we were contacted by the producers, and we said no. We weren't interested. We were kind of going in our own direction. And then um, when we realized that Zach Bagans was hosting it, we were like, oh, yeah, we're going to do that. We're definitely in <laughs> a good like, way to get like exposure out there. And we we're like, why not? It's it's a, a challenge. It's, we're in Yeah, and it was some, it something and- that we were familiar with. We kind of liked the, the three-guy team. Um, their dynamic was cool. And, you know, they seemed like pretty pretty decent people. So we were kind of excited to accept the challenge. So they approach you and they say, well, we've got this idea. It's kind of like a game show uh, of investigation. Is that how they presented it to you, that it was going to be like a competition? Um, we didn't really know until we got there. I mean, it's kind of implied yeah. in the name. Challenge, you know there was going to be some yeah. sort of uh, objective. They, they, didn't tell us, yeah. they didn't tell us the name. I don't know if they even decided on the name at that point. Mm-hmm. We were actually the third... 
um, the third uh, round of crew filmed. Yeah, the third episode. We wound up being first because of all the craziness that happened on the show, but, (laughs) you know, chaotic (laughs) events lead to, you know, exposure. So when you are there and you're filming it, I mean, was it kind of what you expected going in? Because the way that it portrayed on television, it seemed like everybody was kind of thrown in in disarray by the whole format of the show. Like, everybody was kind of like, what? This is what we're doing? Is that kind of how it was in reality? I mean, I know that naturally you're playing up some of these reactions for the cameras. I know how these shows work. But um, were you surprised by the way that things went down when it actually went down? Because here you are. You're in one of the most haunted places around. So you can't really factor in what's going to happen when you go into this television show plan. Right. It was definitely a little scary at first just because you're not used to having cameras in your face mm. and um, you're being timed. You only have an X amount of time in each zone. Yeah, and, uh, and we, a lot of people didn't realize. Yeah, it looks like we were only there for an hour, but we were there for uh, 14 hours a day for three days in a row. Yeah, but so. the investigation itself was um, four hours long, so... They cut out a lot. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> there was choose. Lot, lots in between there. But, yeah, it was grueling. And the temperature, I think that oh, we wound God. up being there on the coldest it was freezing. time in April. Was just, emotions were high. We're all <clears throat> pissy by the end of the night. <laughs> how, did the, uh, how did the other groups receive an all-women paranormal team as, as one of the teams competing? <clears throat> they, actually, um, they actually gained some kind of notoriety by calling us out on Twitter, uh, Resident and Dead Boys, um, calling us out on Twitter several times to gain the attention that they would need to, because they knew we were getting, we were going to be on. There was no question. We were kind of silent about it because we were actually told we weren't allowed to speak well, upon it. it. Right, yeah. But, um, yeah, they, they definitely played into the entertainment boys versus girls factor. Well, whatever. So. I mean, I don't know, Stephanie, if you saw it when it aired. But being a woman in the field, what were were your thoughts of the way that they were portrayed? Because obviously you guys have no control over how it's going to be edited. And you probably found out how the show turned out the same time everybody else did when it aired for the first time. Yeah, like obviously we knew the outcome, but I was a little um, shocked at what they did. They chose to show and what not to show. I think they took advantage of the fact that they were women. And I definitely think they tried to portray you guys as the pretty girls that didn't know anything mm-hmm. about the paranormal. And, I mean, it's Hollywood, and, you know, we all know that there's editing. I've been in shows where I I know what happens there, and then what comes out is not even close to what happened. So yeah. I get it. I understand. But um, I think that's when you guys were, like, brand new, and nobody knew who you were. So everybody, you know, that was your introduction to the paranormal, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Right. Do I think it was fair? No. But I think it's what's to be expected when you sign a contract. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We were, like, yeah. it was all in good fun for us. <laughs> right. Didn't, I didn't take offense. You should, have heard, you should have heard me yelling at the TV when I was watching that episode, too. <laughs> and I was like, come on, what? Because you, you can tell with reality shows yep. when they go in with an agenda. Oh, like, yeah. Oh. You know, my wife watches Chopped all the time. I and, love that show. And you, you can just tell when they're beating the dead horse of somebody's personal story. Oh, it's well, I'm doing this for my son. I really want my son to realize what I do. Again and again, the same thing. I'm doing this for the memory of my uncle. You know, fine. All right, I understand. But I don't want to keep hearing it after every round or every time you're on oh, the camera. Okay. And it seems like that's what they try to do with these stories. They try to hammer home one point, and it might not be really the point that you want them to hammer home. Yeah. But that's what they're doing. And if, i, I got to ask you, of course... The infamous moment about, you know, not knowing the name of the equipment. How many times must there be moments where that happens with all these other shows, where, especially like on Ghost Adventures, for example, where they're always getting new equipment to try out. You know, and they're throwing you this stuff, and you don't always know what it is. I see stuff on investigations for Legend Trips. I don't even know what it is. But, you know, they use that as an example to kind of do what Stephanie is suggesting, to kind of... uh, 
kind of you know like give you guys a little tweak there a little bit. How how was that received uh, when you guys saw that? They actually. Um Actually, if you watch it, they never air us actually saying beepy thingy. But we did. Know I think all it was my sister. It, it was Danielle. It, it was my sister Danielle who, you know, she's always looking for the. For yeah. The and during the judges, um, you know, when we're in front of the judges, they actually like quizzed us on. Yeah. They, they had me like ramble off. I remember like I was like millimeter PX device, da, 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 and they didn't show that. So yeah. So no. But I think Patrick Burns was really kind in saying you know to detail out the description of how we turned on the PX device, which isn't just a you know handle on the side that says switch on. So I mean there is some difficulty. Like if you don't know the name, but you know how to use it. Right. Yeah. We know the basic idea of what it works. Every piece works differently, mm-hmm. and everybody modifies their own equipment, too. Uh, you know, how many times do we walk around with the K2 meters with the, the pennies shoved in them to make them work? And, yeah. uh, <clears throat> you know, and we all have our own names for the things that we used to. Like, I will say, you know, where's the K-deuce? And, you know, people know what I'm talking about, but yeah, somebody still, could come after me and say it's the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah I still call makeup. So yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, I just do a really <laughs> do good that. job of making it look natural. <laughs> I still call the, the digital recorder the EVP. Like, I'm like, give me the EVP. I, I just, I think I've referred to it for so long like that. Like, I, and I know they know, hard. you know, my team members know what I'm, I'm saying. So I think that there was a lot of things that came out of left field. We were really excited to get to use some of the new equipment. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we got the, the bag that was jack-in-the-box bag that right. spilled all over the place. And we literally lost half of our equipment within that the two first minutes. two minute period, as Zach <laughs> pointed out, like yeah. two minutes, everything, and there was things that we weren't allowed to replace. Like they were, they told us in the beginning, like you drop it, you lose it, you're done. Yeah. That's it for you. So there was a lot of things we were working with. We were like, oh <coughs> crap, what are right. we going to do now? So we ran and got the um, the POV, and we we made the best of the situation. Danielle went down the death tunnel and. We managed to like hold our batteries in the EVP players yeah, and like see the digital recorders. <laughs> you know, I will. I will say this: you're very savvy marketers. That's for sure. We we've seen. You know, you you have a very good ability to to brand people's memories with the things that you're promoting. I don't know why you didn't take advantage of trying to uh, get an endorsement deal of selling beepy thingies. I know it would have worked. I, I did see T-shirts going. Yeah, around. there was there was the thermal t-shirt. thingy. And <laughs> yes, beepy thingy. And you didn't get a cut of that. I'm sure. No, no. It never works out that way. <laughs> All right. Well, at least, though, like you're saying, though, it was a, a chance to try something out that was a little bit different that took you out of your comfort zone, too, as investigators. Definitely. We were Which, actually really happy that we lost, like, afterwards. <laughs> it was it was one of those crazy things because it really humbles you and kind of takes you back to, mm-hmm. you know, kind of configuring what your team should be. Yeah, we learned a lot, like, as a team, like, how to conduct our investigations. We learned a lot from the judges and... It was a great experience. Well, I wouldn't take it back. Of course, your life would have been so much different had you won, because naturally those people got great fame and riches and everything out of winning, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> it, it, it really didn't make a difference the whatsoever. Bragging yeah. rights. Yeah. I, I will say this though. After I think that after all the what did they have six or eight episodes, and all the teams that went through there, you guys probably came out of it as the most remembered team. So mm-hmm. you're the team that comes out of there with the recognition, while the teams that won, sweetest I, losers. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> As long as you guys had fun, I think that's what matters. Yeah. But I think you guys are in the up. same position as me, too, is where, you know, people depict you as just a pretty face. Mm-hmm. And they don't realize oh, how much no. knowledge or intelligence that you do have behind it. So yeah. I think it was a good way, you know, to throw yourselves out there and to get yourselves out there and then to be able to back up what you actually do know later on. Thank so. you. Thank yeah, you. Like yeah. in any field. 
So yeah, we're just yeah, learning. and we and like I said, the exposure to the equipment actually. Some people felt so bad for us. We went home and found packages at our door. So nice, you hey, know. You yeah, thank you, Gary Galica. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so there were some people that even though they maybe didn't feel as though we knew every single piece of equipment and we didn't coordinate as a group with Danielle's kicking me every five seconds while I'm trying to tell stories here. You know, <laughs> she's just kicking me under the table. But so some of the different behaviors and things that we were being judged on were was another thing that I was concerned about was because, you know, I felt as though during that point in time, we always try to maintain respect for mm-hmm. the, um, the apparitions, ghosts, spirits, whatever location. you want to call them, yeah. um, on location. So I always feel like that's important and that's, that should be something that is behavior should be half of the, the battle. Yeah. And I think that showing respect to the people that you're there to visit is, you know, one of the most important things. And if that was what we were being judged on, we would have won because we <laughs> definitely have that going on. Well, I'll, I'll save this too. And, and I have all the respect in the world for Zach and, and Dave and Patrick and those guys. A lot of them are friends and, uh, you know, I respect what they do. And I know that they're very serious about the field and I know they're very serious about the way that they conduct themselves in investigating. But really... Who the hell are you to judge how somebody else goes about an investigation? And and that's what bothered me about the whole concept of that show is <clears throat> they want people who are going to investigate in the way that they see an investigation should be conducted. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was so stifling because not only are you limiting, limiting the groups in the way that they might normally operate, right. which in whatever got you to the dance, you know, now they want you to totally change up the way that you do things. But now you're creating an atmosphere where everybody that watched that show now that's starting to get into the field thinks that that's the way they have to do it because that's how it was done on the program. Right. So I feel like... Every episode, you get new judges, and they're going to investigate differently. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, you see, (laughs) we've seen now that we've been on the show for some time, um, now we see a lot of three, three, um, you know, the female trios going out. Um, so, and we see a lot more of the male trios going out and we've actually been contacted by a few people randomly, even boys, girls, whatever you want to call them, like in random groups that say that they have fashioned themselves after us or the, uh, ghost adventures crew or the, you know, the, typically what they have seen, learned behavior, um, in most of these cases. And so you're coming out with these kind of like copycat things and so I think that with the true crime paranormal which we've been sitting on for about four years now um, is something new and refreshing that we wanted to offer to the field so that it wasn't just all about these locations locations that have been you know tried and true throughout the years and that we all love but I mean you know done we, to death. yeah done to death or you know I wish I had the rim shot sound effect over here <laughs> Pete really has it I just don't know where it is <laughs> But, well, I, and I definitely want to talk about that uh, uh, coming up, but there, you're right, though. There has been a lot of threes that have uh, popped up, so I, I think maybe three is the magic number. But, of course, uh, you know, the original trio right here. <laughs> the power of three will set you free. We, we predate all of them. Huh? Nobody saw that. <laughs> no, nobody saw the, the awkward white guy high five? <laughs> Oh, there's not. you coming at me. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, you don't get you don't get the you don't get the awkward white guy high five. I, I get left out of that one. You, you but I can be, go high five both of them, and we'll be yeah. there too. So you should be glad. Careful, we break equipment, so just be wary. <laughs> as, as I don't a, need equipment. I am the equipment, so we're fine. <laughs> just as a total aside, as as a sports writer, I go to a lot of games and professional sports games and, and what have you, and I've probably seen more awkward middle aged white guy high fives than I ever need to see in my yes, life. That's awesome. If, if when whenever 
like the Celtics score a basket, it's like every middle-aged white dude in the place feels the need to high-five the guy next to him. And it's never just like a, hey, it's always that awkward pull back and hold it up and wait and then connect. And, oh, you put man. a little hip action in there. That was really awkward. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think you might be regular at this. Are you not telling us that? awkward white guy high-five? Yes. He's like, I am that white I, guy. I invented that. You are that. <laughs> so... Now the, of course, you got more recognition after that, and you by this point you've already got quite a few episodes running uh, on the online networks and on your website and your YouTube channel. Uh, so you're starting to gain some momentum. Are you finding then that um, when you're trying to get into locations for investigator, people having preconceived notions about who you are, whether they've seen you on the TV show or or seen some of your other investigations, because you don't always take the approach that you think that you would going into some of these places. Hmm. I think that um, we've had to fight to get into some of the locations, including the one that was featured on the bios, My Ghost Story, the Middle Burning Town Hall, where um, Tina and I had to write a petition and, and ask the hall if that was, you know, if, if it was okay with them, kind of go yeah, through the process. Well, it hadn't been done before, so we... Um and so you have to do, you do have to prove yourself. You do have to, you mm-hmm. know, show people that you're going to respect the location and, you know, yeah. in, in every sense of the word, respect the location. Um, and so there have been a lot of doors that opened up to us after the paranormal challenge just due to the fact that people were like wanting some, you know, action on their location. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we kind of, we like to bring a little crowd with us. So it's kind of fun for us to create these events and have some kind of fun attached yeah. to it. And so I saw a lot of people outreaching to us where before it was like, you know, as a paranormal investigator, you're searching for places to investigate initially. And some places are slamming the door in your face, especially, yeah. you no know, non-believers. That, like, if, if they know us, um, they let us into the, our lo- their location, they know that we're not going to be doing any crazy, weird stuff. It's going to be all out of respect and the normal stuff. <laughs> yeah, and we've been yeah a lot more doors have opened up to us as far as as far as that goes. I don't think that we've had um, a situation present itself again actually that has uh, closed us off from a location that we were looking at. So uh, before I ask you the next next question, I uh, just want to let you know uh, Tay Tay says hi. Oh, hi, Taylor. She's, uh, hi. <laughs> she's messaging. Oh, I'm sure she's hitting you up too, but she, she wants, uh, she wants us to make sure that we let you know that she's watching. But, uh, you, you know, you mentioned the middle of our town hall and you talk, you were talking about some of the hoops that you had to jump through to get in there, mm-hmm. uh, for the first time. Ironically, it became the source of a great deal of controversy later on. I know. After yeah. your investigation. But, uh, what, I mean, what kind of, cause I think that that kind of serves as a prototypical example of what you have to do to get into some of these places uh, and some of the walls that you have to break down. So what was it like for you just to get into those doors originally for that investigation? Um, initially, we went through the process. It was actually pretty amazing. Um, we, uh, Alan Frawley was, uh, he, he's one of the most respectable individuals that I have ever met. He's uh, all for the town of Middleborough, and he has definitely done his best to try to uncover the truth about what happens there when the lights go out. And he himself has had some random experiences. He didn't want to go too far into it, you know, as a selectman. (laughs) Um, So he definitely, he was the one that actually gave us the initial tour, and he was explaining the hot spots and things. And I think he was generally just as curious as the next person to see what we were able to capture. And um, I know that after the the show had uh, aired on the bios, my ghost story, that he had expressed 
us that he was very happy with the result. Um, so I think that in all that it was another way that we were able to prove that we were really interested in portraying the history and the accuracy of the location. And I think the first group to get in there was Bay State Paranormal, mm-hmm. who is a group that we have worked with and that we trust and know. And then you guys go in there, and we trust you guys. We know you guys. And it seemed like things were in pretty good hands. But then that becomes kind of a, a case study of what can happen when the wrong individuals or wrong organizations can get into some of these locations and how they can ruin it for the rest of us. And that's what happened later on mm-hmm. after that episode aired. I don't want to get into all of it, but <laughs> I – uh, you don't. You don't know. No. Well, maybe we will I was get actually. I was contacted just because of the um, because of the common knowledge because we were involved, and then it must have been something someone saw as an outlet to a fast track to fame, which was exactly the case. Because who calls and tells somebody what they're doing and when they're doing it? It's it's you don't call some you don't call the national news and tell them that you're doing an invest paranormal right. investigation. Let them know what, what time to show up to film the investigation and have them put it in the newspaper so that everybody knows that you're going to be there doing the investigation. You, and then it didn't warrant any evidence. Yeah. There there was I nothing mean, afterwards. There's no you, you follow through. No. All right. I, I already bashed the guy After a couple of times on the show, but I guess I'll Why bash him again. I don't. I don't really mind. I I've wrote. I've I'm written sorry. him a few personal letters myself. So bash away because I'm ready to join right along with you. I think it was a horrible the, the, situation. The gentleman who I will not say his name just to not give him any more hmm. radio publicity here, uh, but he had contacted the Middleborough Town Hall and he had asked to come and investigate. And, and uh, Selectman Frawley being open to the ideas, as Rachel said, you know, he wants to let as many people in there and try and get as many different possibilities for explanations, Uh, so he let him come in, and what bothered me is I just started blogging for WBSM.com, so this was the first blog that I ever wrote for the website, and what bothered me about it was the fact that the media was being tipped off as to when the investigation was taking place, so there's a story, what we would call in the sports world and advance. Mm -hmm. They're advancing the fact that somebody's going to be there conducting an investigation. And I thought that that was stupid because you're letting people know that you're going to be there doing this. So every stupid teenage moron is going to show up and hang outside the window and make woo noises and contaminate your evidence and cause Mm -hmm. problems. And you're going to get people showing up thinking it's an event that they can get in there and and what have you. So I, I just thought that it was stupid. And so I contacted the investigator and I let him know that. He wrote back to me and said, well, you know, I would never do such a thing. I'm a professional. Obviously, it was the selectmen that did that, and they're the ones that did this. And he forwarded me the email that had been sent to the press, uh, which was coming from the Middleborough Town Hall. But the Middleborough Town Hall never wrote that email. Selectman Frawley never wrote or approved that email. This investigator wrote it and said that it was written in the Middleborough Town Hall to make it look like it had been them to kind of cover his own ass so that when he sent it out to the media, they would think that it was official. So he basically played everybody and then tried to play me. I complained about it in the blog about, you know, the the town letting the word leak out. And immediately Selectman Frawley emailed me as soon as he heard about it and told me I had the story all wrong. And I spoke to him on the phone. I spoke to him via email. And we hashed it all out and realized that it was this person who caused all the problems. Whoa. And so I th- I'm pretty sure that ever since then, I don't know if it's changed, but I think ever since then now they haven't allowed anybody else to go back in. Yeah, because Damn. it was just, it totally destroyed the process. He, yeah, and it was just 
completely uh, the rudest thing ever. I just and that individual has a history also oh, yeah. of, of oh. pulling these kind of fraudulent behaviors to gain attention. So that's another thing in the paranormal field that you have to be wary of. There's a there's a line that that shouldn't be crossed, and that's one of them. And when there's no justification behind that, other than a fast track to fame pretty much it gained him nothing and what's the follow through as a paranormal investigator what did you find yeah that's like the complete lack of respect for a location and and not only that but it's a lack of respect for your colleagues now because you have put that stigma on everybody else now and and channel four did an entire expose on the guy and about his history i'll tell you when we're off there i'll show you the clip (laughs) you use the word colleague I really wouldn't call him a colleague. Well, no, I think he would. Yeah. I think he would assume that he has colleagues with other people in the field. Right. So if you the consider if you consider all of us to be your colleagues, well, then why are you going to screw all of us over just to to benefit because yourself? Because all he wanted to do was be famous, so he didn't care what happened after. And he it's it's fame. and it's been a pattern with this individual. Yeah. Well, really, really, really bad. Oh, when you hear I the know. stories, you will. Do I know who it is? You may. I, I may have, might have told you about it afterwards, but uh, he's just a, a horrendous, horrendous human being. Well, there's a lot of those in the paranormal. There is. There is. <laughs> oh, there is. And it's, Everybody that didn't have friends in high school just found the paranormal field and thought it'd be the fast track to becoming famous. And oh, unfortunately, that's at least And that's what, taints the, that's what taints the entire situation. But this individual having that fraudulent past, I think that people need to just be wary of that. Mm. Um, that type of behavior, and altogether, I think that it ruins the the field and the the situation for us when there is a big announcement. You know, when there is a breakthrough yeah, scientifically, it's like putting a stereotype on us. Well, we have a call here, and if anybody would like to call in during the course Ooh. of the show, we do have a few minutes uh, before the news, uh, so we can take more calls in the next hour. But the numbers are 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. Good evening. You are on Spooky South Coast with the Women of Paranormal Expeditions. How are you? Hello, this is Matt from Minnesota. How are you? Good. How are you? Hi, Matt. I'm, I'm doing really well. Uh, thanks a lot. You know, I was, uh, had a question for the guest. I... I admit to being um, uh, kind of a skeptic. I haven't had my own, own experience, but I, I enjoy enjoy the topic quite a bit. I watch Ghost Adventures. I watch most of Paranormal Challenge. Um, something that struck me when I when I used to watch the Paranormal Challenge was um, it seemed like um, the judges Dave and, and Zach is um, they're very critical of some of the EVPs that the that the teams might capture and present as possible evidence. However, when, you know, watching, for example, um, Ghost Adventures, uh, it seemed like they tried to pass off a lot of nonsensical, um, almost inaudible EVPs as real evidence. So I thought it was almost kind of hypocritical for the judges to to judge the uh, the teams in such a way where, well, that's not, you know, that's not real real evidence that you presented to us. But that's a good point. Uh, mm-hmm. here on uh, Friday Night Ghost Adventures, I guess Saturday night now, they would present things that, um, many times, to me, are um, quite nonsensical. Again, as someone who's kind of a skeptic, I would like to believe I don't. Um, like Matt, I guess I'm, I'm a professional. Uh, for my, uh, I make a profession as a research scientist. I am skeptical. Um, I enjoy it. The entertainment value of Ghost Adventures, uh, for me, is off the charts. I love it. I watch it all the time. But to me, in Paranormal Challenge, the way they judge some of the teams was uh, very, very hypocritical. And I wonder if the guest 
have any opinion on that, and I don't know if uh, they would be comfortable sharing uh, sharing that. So that, that's uh, that's my question. I'll hang up and listen. All right. Thank you very much for the call and for listening. You bet. Bye. All right. So I mean, I don't know if you guys want to address that, but it's a very valid point. I mean, sometimes it seems like they're mm-hmm. they're you know they're trying to make something out of what they captured just to have something on an episode of any television show, yeah. uh, and then here they are turning around and and saying to you guys, well, we need something more than that. Yeah, and uh, Tina and I had actually discussed making that a part of our show too, is to um, kind of say, did you catch that EVP, and give the audience a chance to kind of formulate what they thought it was in likeness mm-hmm. to the situation. And, uh, I think maybe um, they're kind of critical because it was a competition, so they're kind of looking for the best evidence possible. But I think an, any investigator can relate to the fact that we'll present evidence like, look at this, this is real, I caught this, and then everyone else's evidence, you're always skeptical of every other team's evidence. You know, um, I did hear... You weren't there. You weren't yeah, there during the investigation. I actually watched every episode of the Paranormal Challenge, including our own several times. But um, So I did get a chance to kind of... Uh, you know, listen to the evidence and things like that. And I think a few times um, I heard for myself what I commonly have heard if you leave a digital recorder in your pocket while you're walking. It's like, I mean, that can sound like pretty much anything. I'm going to have to hold you guys there, but we will come back and talk more about this coming up in the next hour following the news. So stay tuned for more coming up here on Spooky South Coast. I mean, we want to make sure he gets his residual check, right? We should find out that guy's name. Jim Birdsall. Yeah? Yep. Is he on face page? Uh, maybe. He's a very, very famous announcer. Really? He's one of the voices of NFL films. I feel honored. Yes. I, you know, I actually thought about having that re-recorded uh, because, you know, the station now has a new, quote-unquote, voice of the station. So I was going to suggest to Pete that maybe we have that new voice right. record some new... Because, you know, it's we've been on the air for like eight years now. Yep. So we need to have... There needs to be some refreshing of some of the material. And people hear the same things all the time. So I was like, maybe we should have those re-recorded. But uh, then I, I looked up... You need like a celebrity. Well, then um, I looked up and I realized Jim like, Birdsall is a celebrity. Oh. He's like very I was famous. I thinking of like Charles Bronson. Hey, Pelly, you hey. listening to Spooky? He's dead, so maybe we uh, could. We'd have to hook that up. Yeah, we'll have to get some sort of ghost box rig up. <laughs> maybe we'll just have Stephanie kind of channel Charles Bronson. Can you can you do a Charles Bronson impression? I don't think. Can I you know. try? Can you do Mr. Majestic and talk about the watermelons? No. <laughs> Say this ain't over. <laughs> <laughs> that was me. That's a perfect hour too. That was me. I did it. There you go. <laughs> So, yeah, so we, we already have a pretty famous announcer there, so I, I, maybe we'll stick with that because, you know, 
how often you get to say the vo- one of the voices of NFL films <coughs> says my name each week. It's almost like as fired up as I got when Chris Jericho said legend trips on his podcast. That's or awesome. as fired up as you got when Chris Jericho was in the same restaurant as me in Florida. That was... Okay. <laughs> she's, she's down there for a, 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 a big party with uh, the... It works, yeah. Okay. All right, you said it. Yeah. So, yeah, see, it works, uh, you know, yeah. annual get-together where they all <laughs> pat themselves on the back for, you know... It was a big national conference. I like to ten thousand people. I like, to, I like to tease her. Yes, you do. But yeah, so you're down there and you're at this uh, this restaurant and Chris Jericho is there and I'm, he was at my hotel and I'm harassing you like you've got to get me an autograph. I offered, but it was funny because the girl that was with me, one of my very good friends, Renee, um, her husband's totally obsessed with Chris Jericho, <laughs> so she stalked him throughout the restaurant and nice. got his autograph and got a picture with him. And I'm like, if you find him again, just have him come on over to the table. I have a special request. Well, <laughs> so unbeknownst to us at the time, Chris Jericho, huge paranormal buff. Oh, my oh that's God. really funny. Loves the topic. I get a, a, a message from our good friend Jeff Belanger, and he says, you follow wrestling, right? Chris Jericho, he's he's pretty big wrestler, right? I was like, hell yeah. Oh, cool. He's one of my favorite of all time, first undisputed champion. And uh, he's like, oh, okay, yeah. He goes, I just recorded an episode of his podcast. I said, no, get out. And he did. And uh, it, it was released a couple weeks ago, and it became a hugely downloaded episode of Talk is Jericho. And in there, he talks about legend trips and about that's everybody going out there. So he tells everybody to go to legendtrips.com. So I was like, yeah. So oh, my God. That's awesome. I know. That's the way I that's felt. All like, I was like, looking into wrestling for a little bit. <laughs> you need to get back into it. I haven't watched it in a while. WWE Network, man. It'll change your life. I like the Total Divas now, though. Have oh, you seen that? I haven't, but I love the. the okay, you have, to, you have to watch. There's you have to cool. watch because I was obsessed with WWF, WWE. You yeah. got to get the the network. I'll give you my password. You can check it out. Oh my god! <laughs> but it's a great way to kill like three weeks of your oh, yeah. life. I watched like WrestleMania last year and the the. Um, now you can watch every WrestleMania ever. Oh, that'd be awesome. Oh, it's, it's, I was at. What was I watching earlier? Uh, I was watching um, WrestleMania twenty. Which was pretty cool. But anyway, so uh, speaking of legend trips, of course, uh, we have now officially sold out the Mark Twain House event. No Twickets. No no Twickets. No Twickets. No Twickets, so you can't go to Six Flags and go to (laughs) Cleveland. You can get the two-day Twickets. Hey, Jack, thanks for chiming in. We appreciate it. So the... So the tickets are gone for the mar- – I know, good marketing, Twain, Twicket. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, those tickets are sold out. But we do have tickets available for the Murdoch-Whitney House in Winchenden, Massachusetts, which will take place July 12th. This is a place that's only been open for investigation for about a year and a half, and they're really just starting to get a lot of these stories filtering in. So it's kind of virgin territory, and we'll get the chance to go there. Uh, and one of the – sites of one of our most successful legend trips was the USS Salem. And I know that that's somewhere that Paranormal Expeditions in uh, your very early days, that was a place that you had the chance to investigate regularly. And uh, I hope that you didn't have to go there in the middle of August with no air conditioning like we did. Oh, oh, yeah. oh That yeah. was our thing, actually. It was like July, August, mm-hmm. and it's for years in a row, actually. And we've been in the dead winter, so it's like... Yeah. So it's the worst no of winning. both times. No it's winning. like yes, it is. freezing. Have you been on the USS Salem? I went Salem? in November, and then again well, yep. 
When it's like did a giant you guys tent. We were in August, August yeah. 30th of last so year. It, one of the hottest days of the year. There's no happy medium no. on that ship. Yeah. You're either like sweating balls or you're freezing your ass off. <laughs> oh. They, they, they yeah. said to <laughs> us, too, they're like, well, we have some of the air conditioning on, so you guys should be okay. There's no air conditioning. Not even close. No. No, we so, actually, and, and we did different things. We'd go in like the gun chambers and like close the door. And it's like, to go back to like our home base to like hot. stand in front of the fan. I'm like, I can't do this shit. <laughs> oh, you just, you just dropped an S bomb on the radio. Sorry. That's all right. Send the FCC fine directly to Tina Store, care of Paranormal Expeditions. <laughs> Don't worry. They're not listening. They're in bed. They're afraid of the show, actually. But every time we have Jackie Barrett on, we would uh, assume so many fines that the station would go bankrupt. Uh, <laughs> always in the second hour of the, her appearance. So if we limit her to one hour, we're usually all right. I'm the one who... Smart. I know. Um, it's like the angel. Don't worry about it. We'll just we'll just move on and pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> so, the, but the USS Salem, of course. Uh, I actually told one of uh, somebody that I was talking to about setting up a legend trips event. We were discussing that, and he, we were. It was actually the guy who runs the Murdoch Whitney House, and. Uh, Don, the president of the Wichita Historical Society, and he said not to worry that they're having central air put in in April. So we're going to be beautiful in there in July. We're going to be all set. Of course, you got to worry about some of the, the contamination factor for EVP and stuff, but at least we're not all going to die like we did on the ship. And I told him that it was so bad that night on the Salem that we almost just took all of our clothes and threw them away when we got home rather than try to wash them because <laughs> oh, it yeah. stunk so bad. Oh, yeah. They like so sweaty. You get, like, get lines on your back. It's battleship just... smell. Have you guys ever been yeah. on the, yes. the battleship in Fall River? Well, yeah. In, in addition, you get the smell bad enough, but then you get the bo smell too from just sweating nonstop. It, like, I, I know I miss that. Smell. It hits me once oh. in a while too. It's really weird. I get hit yeah. with chip smell. smell. I actually yeah. love it. Yeah, I love like, it. I crave it. <laughs> and we, we took the, the, we had the big Rubbermaid bins that we carry all over. Because at Legend Trips events, mm-hmm. you get everything included. You get dinner and you get snacks and everything. So we have these totes that we bring, Rubbermaid totes, where we put all the paper goods and everything. And when you open it up and you go to the next Legend Trip, you open it up, oh, Salem, there we go. Oh, yeah. It's like it's a smell that never ends. <laughs> so, but in, in discussing the USS Salem, as I said, you know, we had a, a very successful event there. And you guys uh, had a lot of experience on that ship. And now, of course, nobody can get on that ship anymore. They don't even know if it's going to be able to stay where it is. No. We were actually the last event that they had on the ship before they had That's to awesome. pull up you know, stakes on the gangplank and couldn't let anybody go up on the ship anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now nobody really knows what's going on with it. The last that I heard, I haven't even heard numbers for what would need to be done to fix it. Actually, yeah, um, the city of Quincy, the MBTA, it would cost $15 million to make sure that structure would be, you know, safe for 15 years. The wharf. The wharf, yeah. And if um, they wanted to make it safe for 50 years, it would be $50 million. So, and they don't think they're going to pay it because the Quincy Ferry is there as well. Um, it's just so expensive. So for the MBTA, who owns the parking lot mm-hmm. and operates it, it's really just, if the ship wasn't there, it's kind of just overflow for the main part of their lot. To right. use that wharf. So they could just cut that off completely and be fine. Hmm. But then you lose access to the ship and, I guess, to the ferry as well. So yeah. it, really, what, what incentive do they have to put that $15 million into the project? Right. And the ship is privately owned by, like, a U.S. naval um, nonprofit organization. Mm-hmm. So th- it's their duty to keep it up. But it's just a location um, I don't know. I heard things that they might be moving it. That's one of the things I heard, yeah. but I heard that it might be moved to Maryland. Oh, no. Which would be a shame. Uh, that would suck. 
But yeah. And then, really, where else can you put it? I mean, Battleship Cove down here, I don't know if they would have the room for it yeah. uh, with what they've already got over there. Throw it in the Taunton River. <laughs> <laughs> and if they do move it to Battleship Cove, we can all forget ever getting on it for an investigation again. Because oh, oh, we've been stonewalled by oh. by uh, Battleship Cove again and again, Damn. trying to get on the the Massachusetts. <clears throat> but uh, so I know that there's been some effort made to kind of raise some funds and, and try and help. But if that 15 million dollars is the target number, I cannot imagine that <laughs> any fundraiser that anybody's going to put together is going to raise that kind of money. No, and that leaves the question hanging in the air: Should these people be throwing these random fundraisers for the the USS Salem? Where is the money going? Not not to even point fingers at anybody, any individuals who's thought about it. Just to say, all in all, the the, mm-hmm. the grand question is: Where is that money going? Right. It's like throwing a dime at a million dollar problem right so in all i just like to know like where that where the intention is there and how that could even i mean i guess you could probably use it for some of the staff who yeah. probably have suffered in salary because they weren't able to have the haunted ship event which was really their big money maker of the year yeah running that haunted ship event i think i read it was fifty thousand dollars of their budget every year came from that and from the boy scouts that they would have sleep yeah. on the ship so yeah, now the people marines as well yeah. people who are paid from that nonprofit, because even though you're a nonprofit organization, you still have salaried employees. And now those people haven't been able to draw a paycheck because they haven't been able to raise the funds. So maybe that's what they're thinking they would do is as to kind of help those made, people out. As long as they made that really a clear to the public, hey, you're helping out the staff members. You're not helping out the ship. Because I know a lot of people that would cut a check to save uh, this monumental, amazing mm-hmm. oh, location. You know, it, I, I mean, who wouldn't? I would take it out of my own pocket if I could. I just want to make sure that the that the resources are going to the proper people and I just don't see how that's going to be a possibility with the amount that is secured right now to even fix the wharf. My biggest concern was how long did they know that this was the case? You know, right. Was this a problem that had been building over the years that had been ignored? Or was it all of a sudden one day they just realized, hey, wait, this isn't up to snuff. Let's do the measurements. And then they realized, oh, wait, it's really bad. It's way worse than we yeah. thought. I think when John, I, um, I think uh, the individual that actually passed away on the ship, John, he had uh, given a lot of his voluntary time to the ship and done a lot of the maintenance. And I think that a lot of the upkeep had not been what it was. Um, I know that Mike, Mike Condon, he's amazing. He um, he run he ran the ship amazing. I know in his absence throughout the course of the year, that there was a lot of different things going on on the ship that maybe you know the resources could have been better put towards, um, you know, fixing different things that eventually, if they aren't fixed, are going to go into bigger problems, deeper problems with the onset of the weatherization and things like that, um, and uh, not to mention the electric bill. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that was the one thing that I was uh, surprised at, too, when they are like, well, you know, you guys can plug in whatever you want. I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> like, isn't that going to cost you quite a bit of money? But no. I guess uh, when you're trying to just keep things going and trying to keep it open. And they did a fantastic job uh, when we were there that night. I mean, they really gave us pretty much all access. And we, the, to have the run of a place like that. We were there with, you know, 60 paid customers. You guys had the opportunity to be there with nobody else there. And I know, Stephanie, you were there with, with pretty much nobody on the mm-hmm. ship. You know, so to have such a huge place to yourselves uh, m- must have been incredible. And hopefully we can find a way to make it so that other group, even if it has to be moved, at least it can be accessible to groups. I would hate to see it go somewhere where they're not 
amenable to the idea of paranormal investigation continuing on that ship. Right, and also I think um, I think stabilizing the actual history of the location without letting teams go on there and kind of slaughter the history, um, which has been done. Um, I know that there was rumors of an individual being burned alive on the USS Salem, and there's there this ghost story had been manifested and thrown around the ship and i think that when you slaughter the true history of a location you really do a complete disservice to the paranormal in a whole i don't think that the truth needs to be modified whatsoever the ship served in guatemala a baby was lost on the ship i know that there have been lives lost on the ship there shouldn't have to be all these fictitious stories coming up to you know for whatever reason to validate yourself or your crew or whatever i just think that the line needs to be drawn. Well, I know, Stephanie, that you weren't there on the last Legend Trips event that we just had at Lizzie Borden's, but Mm -hmm. that was the discussion that Jeff and I led, was the idea that sometimes we allow... Uh, you know what we get from psychics or what we get from devices or what we get the narrative that we build during the course of a paranormal investigation we sometimes allow that to supersede the actual history mm-hmm. and many people feel like because they got it on their ovulus or because they bought, got it from their group's medium that they don't really need to do any further digging or do any further research and which is so far from what they should be doing yeah. like I, yes I am a medium but a lot of times and Matt you can speak to this is I've been brought into plenty locations I do my thing and then I want to know the minute I'm done how accurate was I can you validate right. this can you validate that and I only work with people that historically document everything so that way I know you know to the point of how the percentage of what I'm right in I, I love history anyways and I love digging up history especially local history I'm a huge huge local history buff so do you want to say something? no I just want to help validate what she's saying I've worked with Stephanie on a number of cases brought her to places and I look forward to what she brings forward now I already know the ins and outs of the the history in the background and can pull out the the records to to prove it she's one of the few mediums that i've worked with that especially when i try and tell her that this part of what you got was wrong or was not not accurate she accepts it and moves on whereas in others will try and argue the fact <laughs> well i saw this well and, you know. because it's not necessarily that you're quote unquote wrong right. but sometimes you're not being told the truth from Right, who you're in contact is, with. I mean, it's it's a wide spectrum, and I can get into that for the next four hours. But um, do some spirits lie? Yes, they do. <laughs> do <laughs> do things happen? Yes. Is it sometimes that the person that you're working with doesn't know the whole entire history? That could be it, too. There are things that are validated later on as well. You know, when you, because I always say, you know, like, Matt, you've done it, too. Like, I've worked with you. You've known this much. And when there's something that we don't know about, you go back and mm-hmm. you research the history again and say, hey, remember what you said? That actually happened to be right type thing. So mm-hmm. you have to research. You're doing a disservice to yourself and to everybody else if you don't research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gives a new avenue to look in in some cases where I haven't looked before. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like we've gotten evidence on a location that doesn't make sense at the time given the history. Actually, we had one that a year, it took us a year mm-hmm. to put together yeah. um, from one from one mm-hmm. point to the next. So. Yeah, and for the research, it actually makes sense. So. But that's part of the fun. But de- definitely me spinning these stories off and pretending that you have relatives. This ship's did not, it wasn't, it was basically used as a, a floating hospital to serve in <laughs> Guatemala. And, you know, so a lot of these stories coming up where I was starting to hear these very common uh, new age names coming out of these people's mouths as to who was haunting the ship and um, 
you know, watching them give tours and then having the individuals they're giving tours to be like, I smell burning flesh, knowing that there's absolutely no validation to back that up. It was just, you know, it's it's annoying. Well, and that kind of leads to what you're working on now with True Crime Paranormal, where you you can't get the research wrong okay. with a project like this. You can't. You can't let the investigation tell the narrative because so much of what you're going to be researching and working with, we know the story and, and the story is out there. So why don't you just kind of give everybody an overview of, of what you're working on now? Um, basically, we've been um, sitting on this for about four years now. Um, it was something that we had branched into initially um, and when we uh, discovered the New Bedford Highway murders. Yeah. And uh, we were able to relate. Um, there was these nine women. They were around our age. They, I mean, a lot of commonalities and things brought us to want to start to do these investigations and do them the right way. Yeah, and that sparked our interest to go down to that true crime aspect, the serial killers and... Um, dealing with these horrific events, but doing them respectfully, obviously. Um, Definitely trying to relate to the victims themselves and tell their story, because a lot of times the serial killers, they're the ones that get glorified. They get the Lifetime movies made about them, and the victims are kind of just forgotten. So we're kind of going to be focusing on the victims and their lives and try to, you know, relate to them to get better evidence, and then focus also on the last moments of their death. Yeah, and which that's how, that, and that's why we decided to kind of introduce the biotechnology of the field in the form of chemiluminescence to kind of be able to go into these crime scenes and recreate through blood splatter the last 30 seconds of someone's life to accurately describe to people <coughs> what they went through. And I think that going into the Lizzie Borden house, I know that Abigail Borden, her crime scene was actually manipulated. We know mm-hmm. from being there from time after time that she was being shown respect when her skirt was put back down over her feet. Mm-hmm. But the fact is now we know things about sexually based crimes that they perhaps didn't know back then. So now adding a new motive, being sexually based, could have added a new suspect to the crime altogether. Now going in with the, with this new biotechnology the, the in the form of chemiluminescence, it actually reacts to the hemoglobin, the iron in our blood, and it can last for 140 years. So we are going to go in there and see, you know, what exactly happened through the form of blood splatter, drag marks, and things like that. And maybe we'll get a more accurate story about, you know, how the axe was swung and, you know, the yeah. height of the person. And you I know. think it's going to add to the evidence that we capture if we can have a better understanding of what happened. And, and what strikes me as interesting about it is that it's not just that you're able to make a connection with the spirits that may be there uh, from having this, you know, it's not like you're seemingly more understanding or able to make an easier connection with the victims in that regard, but it it affects you as the investigator. Case in point, Moniz and I took part in an investigation at Lizzie Borden's where they actually brought, you know, they they made sure that everybody could see the blood spatter under blood blood splatter underneath the floorboards Mm -hmm. in the uh, basement area Mm -hmm. and when we all went down there and we could see it it had first it was like a punch in the stomach for everybody that was there to say all right this is more than just a story now and and to have that effect it changed everybody that was in the building that night and it made us a little bit 
I don't want to say leading in our investigation, but at least it, it gave us a new sensibility in our investigation. Whereas before, you know, we were just kind of going in there as, hey, we're in a haunted location. Let's do whatever we can to stir up activity. Now we have to take a more respect, a more respectful approach. Definitely. Yeah, when you see something tangible, when something is actually there. Now imagine taking chemiluminescence just from the floorboard alone to actually come up with the blood spatter. You know, that, and, and from common knowledge now that we know, um, you know, in the form of different, different ways of investigating, we can see for ourselves what actually happened. And I think that putting those pieces together is going to change the face of history in some of these situations. Yeah. You gain like a whole new respect for the events that happened. Definitely. And it, it becomes less of a, a ghost story and, and more of a crime story. Exactly. Is, is there, uh, and I'm sure, you know, we've dealt with this in, in minor, uh, minor instances. Uh, one example with me is, uh, Eaterville Railroad. I wrote a newspaper article about how they were having the haunted train event, which was just, a, you know, a ghost story on a train. That's all they were doing. But I, I mentioned some of the ghost stories around Eaterville, and one of which is the fact that the founder of the railroad, LSD Atwood, died when the boiler exploded in the building. He went down there to go and fix it, and it exploded, and then he passed away. So we mentioned that his spirit is seen there all the time, and we mentioned this accident, and his family uh, took offense to the fact that we put that in the newspaper, complained about it, and actually railed against Edaville Railroad for capitalizing on their relative's murder. Hmm. So they had a real issue with the fact that we were tying in his death to a ghost story. I'm wondering how much of that you have to be aware of with this project. I mean, I know you're starting now with some older cases, but as you get more up to the modern times, it's going to be something that will be on the radar, I'm sure. Yeah, we, well, that's why we just approach it with the utmost respect. You know, these are people's lives we're dealing with. Um, family members have actually contacted us, and they do want to be part of the story. And That's know, good. Yeah, they, and we, you know, we, we approach them with the with the possibility, and actually there was a few individuals, it has to be keep kept under wraps for now, but that were actually really excited to be able to have the opportunity to hear their mother's voice for the last time and, you know, um, being Almost the person. closure in a way, yeah. be able to give something back, um, like a parting gift. And these some of these crimes that we're dealing with are still unsolved. So that That's leaves. what my next question was, because especially, I'm, I'll bring up New Bedford since we're right here. Yeah. The highway murders are very controversial. Um, there's a lot of controversy surrounding every aspect of that story. A lot of bodies are still missing. Yeah. A lot of places are not marked. So how do you guys think that you're going to approach that? Because um, you're from Quincy, so you're mm-hmm. not from around here. People are very sensitive in this area. Mm-hmm. So you, have you run across anything that stopped you so far? Or we, um, We've had a lot of positivity. Um, the two out of the nine girls are still missing, mm-hmm. um, it, it, and it is... Um, it is such a sensitive issue that when we first approached it, we actually did the research ourselves and contacted the family members first. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really about what yeah. the public thought in general. It was about how these people felt. And in general, um, the response that we got from, for the most part, is what could it really hurt at this point? Right. There's it's no still a very recent thing. Bringing attention right. to these these crimes, bringing attention to the, the faces yeah, of these crimes. We kind of like want to bring light that it's still... Unsolved it's more of a documentary, and then mm-hmm. we're going to piece it together with the family members that are willing to come in and sit down and and, and yeah. sit through the investigation with us. So it's going to be kind of like our thing. Well, that's really good. Just I mean, be- you're not kidding, though, when you say that it's it's something that really uh, gets people, uh, gets their blood boiling here. Because yeah, whenever any type of, uh, you know, if a murder takes place, Immediately, people are like, well, it's going to be the highway killings all over again. Right, just because, I mean, Lizzie Borden's now a tourist attraction, but that is. And one it's of 120 the, years old. Right, and right. this is 
It was the 1980s, and this is probably one of the biggest things that have ever happened to New Bedford. Mm-hmm. So I, I know people are still very sensitive about it when you do mm-hmm. talk about it because it was a scary time. Nobody thinks that it would come to us, and it was. Mm-hmm. You know, growing up in New Bedford, um, you think about it. I was born in the 1980s, so when it, it was still, even 10 years later, it was still a huge issue. And it still is to this day. You know, it's if you look up, um, you go, like, you know, New Bedford's Most Wanted or something like that or anything anything yeah. to do with Massachusetts search. it's on there so yeah, it, yeah. it is a it's a big deal um, my second question for you guys is you are looking at the crime part of it but where you're contacting families and you're getting personal with families and you're hoping to capture evidence of their loved ones have you guys considered bringing in a medium to work with because they are such sensitive cases um, I think that Tina has um, a few skills that we haven't really um, announced as of yet. But, yeah, I think that um, she's just experiencing some things for herself. But to have an individual like yourself who has the experience that mm-hmm. could maybe, you know, help us out with the channeling situation. Um, and I don't know. every. I know that there are different mediums that have different sets yes. of skills. So I won't, I won't speak too much because I don't know your mm-hmm. particular set. But... I know that um, every little bit helps. It does. That's why I'm asking, just because, you know, I I tell people all the time is paranormal investigating is great, and that's a part of the reason why I broke out of it and said, okay, I have done this my whole life. And it gets to the point where you can record and you can do everything, but then you do have that emotional aspect that, that's Nothing what we want to bring. Can, yeah, and yeah. you can't bring that without having some sort of connection or a medium, literal yeah. medium to the other side. So um, I've noticed, you know, within the past 10 years of doing this, you know, outwardly that it does get difficult. People do get emotional. I get emotional over things. So yeah. I think we've all been in the Slater Mill where, where you two have had to step outside mm-hmm. for right. a brief it's moment. It's sickening. And, it's right, it is. And I have sensitive abilities that allow me to actually, I mean, as soon as they spun the machines, I was mm-hmm. smelling human decomposition to the point where it was was like obnoxious to me mm-hmm. um but that's part of my sensitive abilities too and i think as females i mean that are that we're automatically going to be closer yeah. to mm-hmm. life and death as you know the carriers well, we of life ourselves yeah. exactly so, mm-hmm. that's right boys we're closer to life and death than you could <laughs> yeah. ever imagine it's definitely something we still want to like post like the hotline like if you still know any information yeah, yeah like we want to yeah, make so, it more aware yeah documentary style if you can imagine such a thing to raise attention for some of these things and then of course the uh, with the utmost consideration for yeah. family it's members like treading on very fragile it subjects is. and that so, was just one of the ones that we pulled out of our hat we're currently doing some of the uh, earlier um, you know America's worst serial killers <laughs> I can give you I mean, and I'm sure that you've had many discussions uh, about how you want to approach this and how to best handle all these cases, especially when you get to the more recent stuff. Yeah. Uh, but if I can give you an example of what not to do, and I don't mean to, to pick on poor Patrick Burns, uh, because uh, God knows he's a great guy and, and he does a lot for the field. But if you look at the episode of um, Haunting Evidence, where they focus on the Natalie Holloway case, that is a perfect example of what not to do. First of all, it was it was way too soon. Uh, it was definitely just a ratings grab. That's what it was. And when you look at how it was done, it was more harm than good. I think I think that's what ultimately led to the to the cancellation of the show. But yeah, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. But I would I would just avoid that. And I'm sure if you ask everybody involved in that program, that say if we could go back, we wouldn't do that episode. Yeah, I think there's a grace period with any location. I mean, yeah. there's I think a certain just try to be tasteful with it. You know, not going to be in there like provoking. You know, obviously we're way against that. Um, you know, pick our tools the right way and just 
you know, it's a sensitive subject. So and we're very- really, it's not going to be necessarily about the surrounding events. Mostly, no, we're trying it's- to give a face to what happened mm-hmm. and to give an accurate description of the history mm-hmm. of, you know, of that particular murder. Well, why don't we take uh, our last break of the show, and if anybody has any questions for Rachel and Tina, uh, you can give us a call, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. The numbers are also up on the website at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can also tweet them to us at SpookySC, or you can email them SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Those are the ways to get in touch with us at any point in time uh, during the course of the week as well. So, you know, maybe something happens and you want to get in touch with us and you want to get a hold of us that's the way that you can do it and uh, we will when we come back i want to play the trailer for true crime paranormal there's a little clip that's up here uh, on youtube and people can go to paranormal expeditions on youtube that's there's no e before expedition because it's x-rated when tina gets behind a microphone apparently i didn't know i had it in me uh, we'll be right back with more here on spooky south coast Back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg with you, as well as Matt Costa, Matt Moniz, Stephanie Burke, and we have Rachel Hoffman and Tina Storr of Paranormal Expeditions and their new project, True Crime Paranormal. And we just played what was from the trailer, uh, the little introduction here uh, that you can check out on their YouTube channel, Paranormal Expeditions. And uh, But you do have an EVP clip in there, and I'll, I'm just going to replay that real quick uh, for everybody to hear. Then we can set up what actually happened, and I'll play it one more time. So that was the time that I played it, just to f- see what time it marked at. <laughs> so, but uh, so this is the this is the first uh, episode of the of the true crime paranormal. Uh, what is the case that you focused on first? We're doing Albert Fish first. Um, he is definitely a heinous individual. So we have. Um, I am pretty much an Albert Fish expert. He he's said to have had a child in every state, but. He's never really clear on whether that means he molested them or took their lives. And he's in, they say about 15 um, children are being looked at under his case. But what wound up happening is the three most sensationalized were the ones that caught the most attention, which were um, Francis McDonnell, Billy Gaffney, and Grace Budd. And those are the three children that we're going to be focused on, even though there is this, you know, Possibility that there is up to 15 total mm-hmm. children that um, he murdered. Yeah, so he was America's first child serial killer. Yeah, and it, well, it was. I mean, it can be argued who was mm-hmm. the first because there's so many that pop up randomly and haven't been caught. I know that your station for the Hello. South Coast. He was um, serial killer, cannibal, 
pedophile. Yeah. It, it so they call him the, the vampire of Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah and it way was way before yeah. Eddie Murphy was yeah. the Brooklyn vampire. Then. Exactly. It's just a horrible, horrible story. And he generally he generally actually liked little boys. The, it was commonly known back then that he saw Grace Bud as being a boy with her haircut and the, the way that they dressed during the time. So he viewed her as being a boy. He actually um, spared her the fate of... <laughs> most of his other victims, which was they were sodomized and all those other things. She was kind of, like, taken quickly. But the gruesome thought of her body being consumed over the course of nine days was um, was what uh, made headlines, I think. So now you, you're researching this case. You're getting all the backstory. How do you put that into play into a paranormal investigation related to the case? After we give the basic documentation i give um the depiction of the serial killer and i go into a lot of the details and then tina yeah i kind of focus on the victims their lives you know how old they were you know what they typically would be interested in during that time period and find whatever fat as much facts as about the victim as i can and use those use those use that knowledge in the investigation you know bring trigger objects um you know conjure spirit to us and try to make contact and see what we can get yeah, and we and we base a lot of the a lot of the facts that surround the case around what evidence or what uh, equipment we use to yeah. gather the evidence. Yeah, we we participated in a program uh, a few years ago called Conversations with a Serial Killer, mm-hmm. and it was something that was produced over in the UK. And the idea behind this was they had. Uh, you know, everybody, every show in the UK has to have what they call the presenter. And so they had this, this woman who was the presenter, and she was like the host of the program. And there was a psychic, uh, Bobby, I can't remember his last name. Uh, uh, but, uh, I mean, just goes to show you how much he did be on the show. But his, his name was Bobby, and, uh, and he would go with her to these different locations where serial killers had claimed victims, and they would try to communicate with their spirits. And they took us to the, uh, building where Albert DeSalvo committed one of his murders at Boston Strangler. But they couldn't get us into the actual apartment where it took place. The building had now been turned into con- uh, dorms for BU. So they couldn't get us into the actual place where it happened. So they got us into the first floor apartment because they were the only people that would accept their money and let the film crew come mm-hmm. in. And they asked us to just bring whatever equipment we had. And at the time, the shack hack was still the, the newest thing that we had. Matt had kind of just finished it. And uh, so we brought that with us, having never used it before. And, you know, they portray it as kind of being like we're experts in using this ghost box equipment. But they had us sit in what was not the apartment uh, using a shack hack to try to communicate with the Boston Strangler. And we got some pretty interesting hits off of it. But uh, at the same time, I felt like that was – when we walked out of it, I'm like, you know, if I was the family of the victim, I would have been like, what the hell just went on? Uh, but, it's, you know, it sounds like you guys are trying to tailor what you're doing for the particular case. And, and to go in there armed with already, it sounds like, more knowledge than these people that we worked with had about the case at all. Uh, so it's, it seems like, you know, you're taking a much more respectful approach, as you said earlier, but also uh, a much more suitable investigative approach as well. 
Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Thank we, you. <laughs> we definitely, that's what we aim to do is to try to, I mean, it, we waited for this this long, Stephanie, um, as you had mentioned before, because it is so sensitive. I mean, how people are going to take this, we really weren't too sure. But what we were sure of is that these stories deserve to be told. Um, these people, I mean, just for an example, um, you know, we can we can name Jeffrey Dahmer as, as a well-known serial killer, but can any of us name one of his victims, you know? And that's kind of what Tina and I are aiming to do is to not just name the victim and not just show the face of the victim, but to put the face back to the to victim. Their life, their life right. story. Because we see stories about the serial killers all the time. I mean, right. Investigation Discovery, all these networks. There's they networks that, them. They, yeah. yeah, they thrive off the glorification mm-hmm. of these of these figures. So to, to give that voice back to the victim. Yeah. Uh, so now in this clip that we played, you capture this EVP. Uh, what, what exactly is going on here when you, when you caught this? Um, by accident. <laughs> yeah, it was actually during the course of us um, combing through some of the locations that we were looking at in New York City um, around the Brooklyn area. And we caught this EVP out of no no one was around. And as you hear it, you can hear a group. It's not just one child. It's several children in unison screaming no. Mm-hmm. The, it's amazing to experience it and to know that he had several victims to it yeah, just validated it's only kind of like the b-roll for billy gaffney you know, yeah it was during the day it was just it was just one of those things you can hear birds chirping in the background that's actual that wasn't put in there that's actual every investigator can relate to those beautiful moments of capturing evidence by accident you're not even oh, looking yeah. for it yeah. well let's play that one more time for people to hear It's it's very loud, very sharp. I mean, that's not any amplification to the to the EVP clip. No amplification. No, no it it was it was actually chilling to hear, mm-hmm. and and you hear the amount of children and how they're screaming it, like like they're all standing together and holding their arms together and saying to him, <coughs> finally, no, like you can't have this, you can't have my life. Mm-hmm. Now, is there? Uh, I, I suppose that as you're doing this too. Uh, we always say that we feel the effects of paranormal investigating. I mean, you just got to be in a room where things are happening and you feel drained, especially when whatever's going on dissipates. You feel especially drained. It must be even more taxing physically and mentally to take on these type of cases. Oh, definitely. We, we talk about this all the time. Um, you know, death is always on your mind. It's going to mess with you. Uh, it definitely messes with me, but you just got to keep a positive outlook. Um, just something- know that you're kind of honoring these people. You're doing... A service to them and giving them a voice and um i don't think it ends when you leave the location no. either it stays with you we call it a spiritual hangover <laughs> after drained. you leave the investigation yeah. and for three days you are almost like hungry cranky tired i mean mm-hmm. there's all those Exhausted. things that yeah. are combined with each other and it's just that spiritual drain kind of like the battery drain so yeah. we refer to it as a hangover because i mean that's the that's what i can describe the feeling to be like yeah. the most dehydration almost that's why we're like, big on you know closing out an investigation um we're big practicers of saging and just surrounding yourself with a white light, being in a positive mindset. 
yeah. all that fun stuff. <laughs> See, and that's that's the the taxing part of this is not only are you doing investigations, you're going out to conventions, you're promoting the team and promoting the projects. So you're coming down with you know the spiritual hangover as you're describing, and you get the con flu. Which I'm sure. Oh, oh my God! I lose my voice every con. It's so funny. Or the para flu. I hear. I hear that's <laughs> yeah. that's a. Good and speaking of cons, of course, you guys are going to be a para history con. Yes. We will coming um, up uh, in Lake George, New York, yes. uh, the beginning of May, the first weekend of May. Yes, that is um, May second to third, and then we'll also be later that month at the Hartford Comic Con. It's uh, May thirty first to June first, and um, we're also going to be featured in. Um, Sam, Sam, Sam's new book, Sam Beltrusis, um we just did an interview with him on The Ghosts of Salem. He actually has written quite a few books, Ghosts of Boston, Ghosts of Cambridge, um, so we were just honored to be part of his newest project. I saw the link there. It looks like it's a history press book from their Haunted America series. Yeah, it's amazing. Quite familiar with and that, yeah. I've seen, you know, some from, from his past works. We're definitely excited to see what this... Yeah. He's become a very good friend of ours. He's yeah, he has. He's, he, he holds a lot of the same um, morals and values that we do. So, mm-hmm. If you don't already have it open, keep the uh, first weekend in June open for TerraCon in, uh, in Providence, Rhode Island. So. That sounds cool. nice. It's, again, I have to meet with Steve and get things rolling on the paranormal side of things, but uh, <laughs> we will have some pretty big announcements coming up soon about that. So now, so the Albert Fish episode is kind of the first one, and then do you have other ones kind of already done, or are you in the process um, of uh, working on them now? Process of working on them. Yeah, we're, we're still in the process of Albert Fish, you know, um, just kind of introducing the idea to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some footage that obviously um, has been quite a few years old, um, just working on it. Now we're just getting, I don't know, all of our locations set and ready to go and kind of gearing up. Yeah, <laughs> we can't. We actually can't wait to just start putting it out there. It just, uh, it's really an exciting process. Well, I was going to ask you, is the plan to distribute it via the internet like you did with the Paranormal Expedition Show? Or are you chopping it to networks or? Yeah, I think that both in the process. I mean, there is that exposure that comes with YouTube, I guess, and if you're if that's what you're looking for. For us, yeah, it's really like a DVD or something. Right. Yeah. It's more about telling the story for us. It's not about the aspect of possibly getting the show on television. It's more us being able Have to... Like- you know, artistic freedom to do it ourselves. And yeah, so not being locked yeah. into, you know, other things with other producers. It's kind of nice to have that, yeah. you know, that freedom. That autonomy. And, and, and Rachel, you're a mom. And yes. and I, I have a nine-year-old son, and you know as well as I do, TV is dead to them. It's all yeah. about what's on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's how people are finding their entertainment these days. And so the, really, I mean, really, you can uh, get it out there to more eyes than you can on television, but... Yeah, and it's that's what it's about is more awareness for us and and mm-hmm. trying to change the face of the scientific research field too. In the meantime, it's not just about you know, oh, we caught a fun ghost on TV. You know, like it, it's actually about you know, maybe making some leaps in the in the paranormal research industry. Yeah, kind of meshing the science and spirituality and pseudo getting a happy <laughs> medium. So, do you guys see yourself staying local? Do you want to take this national? Do you feel like you're sticking to serial killers or one time big time? I think this is definitely just one of the many avenues that we like to take. But right now, I think we are focusing on the true crime aspect. And just we have so many episodes that have kind of rigmaroled since we've been thinking about this. And I have yeah. such an interest in it. It was like, it's just easy for me to be like, yes, let's do this. Yeah. But we have other projects that we want to do, like other locations that don't necessarily involve crimes. But just kind of bringing the PXP spin to it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but definitely national. Um, I don't know, no location is off limits, you know, as funds would 
you know, well, allow let us. <laughs> some locations we want to get into are off limits because they just won't let us in. Yeah, no. uh, there's that. But it's too far away, and I can't afford a plane ticket. So. Yeah, there's, yeah. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. If uh, if if somehow you know the Amityville house, they said, all right, one time only, oh. you can come down. I'd find a way. If I had to hitchhike. See, I think that's another yes. thing that when people are looking into why we do what we do for certain funding purposes, I, who the hell doesn't want to get paid to do? what they love right. you know i mean that's just a fact and and look how much further it could time. be taken yeah. if um you know i think it's it's common um to believe that because we uh we showed ourselves as a television show initially that that's all that we wanted but we certainly wouldn't still be here if that was the case um we've actually turned down a lot of positions on television because it wasn't the right fit for us and so um, I think that we're still in the struggle to find ourselves and present ourselves um, in the truest form and make sure that it's not tainted. So, well, Like you said, as long as you can control it, you have a, a better grasp of being able to do that. Yeah. And also, you know, I started these paranormal debates on, and we only have about three minutes here, so <laughs> I bring oh, it up now. But I started these paranormal debates every day on Facebook, trying to just to kind of keep the conversation going. So everybody can keep checking out my Facebook page, and we'll put them up on the spooky Facebook page, too, uh, so that people can take part in them. But we really are getting into some of like what you're talking about, where people have come on and said, well, you know, you do this, you go to this convention, and you, you go to this award show, and what does it all mean? And really, it's, it means what you're saying that it means. It's a way of getting it out there and to kind of allow you to have the freedom to do the things you want to do and to get the eyeballs on it. Because right. you could do this all you want and, and revolutionize the paranormal, but what difference does it make if nobody pays attention to it? Right. Plus you're networking and it's all for fun. You're with your peers being honored for something that you love to do. It's yeah, it's cool. And I wanted fun. to mention that our paranormal awards had absolutely nothing to do with the paranormal. Just so everybody knows, <laughs> they were production awards. They were for our production as a crew, how we kind of piece things together um, artistically. So our, our stylistic presentation of evidence. Right. So that was kind of our thing. But I think that these things are just like if you were a janitor and you were getting a, getting a maintenance award. It would be like the guy from the next town coming over and be like, you are not the best janitor in the world. I am. I'm taking <laughs> well, that award. And, you know, that's the issue just, is it's yes. who is getting nominated, how are they getting chosen, and who makes the selections. But yeah, what really matters is how, how far is this award getting you? Is it, I mean, well, then that's the thing. popular that's, science? That's the, debate. <laughs> yeah, that was what my question was. It wasn't about, you know, should these awards exist, which I think a lot of people thought it was. It was more about if they exist, how much should people really be touting the fact that they've won them? Well, yeah. I mean, with anything, it's like, I mean, is it is it a Pulitzer Prize? Like, I mean, no. Right. I mean, if it, it was a friend of mine that decided that I was a decent person they decided to nominate I think they're just fun it's a, a time to like just recognize just, each other for hard work you guys know this and, and Stephanie you know this when when all these paranormal team websites started hitting up everybody was giving each other little awards yeah. to put on their website and they had little pictures <laughs> little, little yeah. trophies on the bottom you know uh, this this such and such association approved you know uh, it doesn't mean anything really it's just no. it's, it's all good it's, fun yeah, yeah it's nice to have a pat on the back from from some friends and right. to be recognized for what you do and we appreciated that as a team to get a production award because we have been really 15 hours a day busting our butts <laughs> to get the you know evidence and everything out to everybody on a weekly basis but the, and it was amongst our peers so i mean we felt pretty good about it I'd love to give everybody an award, though. I start naming, start spinning around. Yeah, no, as, as long as uh, you just play the music when my speech goes too long. For a second. <laughs> All right, that does it for this week's show. We want to thank Rachel and Tina for joining us. You can follow them again on YouTube, Paranormal Expeditions. Uh, no E, just go right with the X. Uh, also, uh, you have a website as well, ParanormalExpeditions.com. They can follow you on Twitter, follow you on Facebook, all We're over everywhere. the place. You yeah. can't quit us. 
<laughs> and uh, so be sure to check them out. Stephanie, uh, everybody can follow you on Facebook and Twitter as well. Yes, they can. They can find me on Twitter, sbark910, and on Facebook as bark 910 Monies, everybody can kind of just send you weird radio signals and yes. carrier pigeons because you won't, you won't get involved. For you. <laughs> All right, we will be back next week, folks. i got to finalize everything, but we might be continuing the same uh, vein of conversation next week. Uh, we may be talking to the director of a new film that will be premiering next Sunday night about killer legends. Ooh. So stay tuned for that. Uh, I just I don't want to give it away yet because I haven't finalized everything, but it looks really good. Uh, so and uh, we'll be back next Saturday night. Until next week, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, for Stephanie, for Rachel, for Thank Tina, for everybody else who's listening and part of the program, we want you all to stay spooktacular. And remember, get those tickets to the Murdoch Whitney House, legendtrips.com. Talk to you all next week.